1: Jake Chasers rugby podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously and we are back again two weeks from the premiership return, in fact as we record today 12 days from the return of the premiership, two more rounds of super rugby, Arteroa to get through and more rugby to talk about there, signings, rumours, rugby's never far away from a political issue at the minute and the governance of the game is up in the air as well, we've got it all to talk about, hi JB. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm sweaty right now. I've been out for a run. I've had a shower. It looks like I've, but I'm just, I can't cool down. I'm sweating buckets. So I We're, apologize. Working out. And uh, yeah. there's Phil, Phil in a vest. What vest is that you got on? Hello, Tim. Uh, I'm
2: in my uh, Sam Burgess. Oh, lovely. Uh, 2015 bath vest.
3: Uh, does Sam Burgess ever wear that vest?
2: Uh, maybe. It might actually be one year post Sam Burgess's um, leaving bath.
3: That's what we call Stolen Bella, uh, sto- Stolen valor. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what, um, just, just one quick one. Uh, I, I just want to mention this. Wednesday night, there is a quiz between podcasts, and it was going to be me and JB together representing us, but JB, you've been, you've, you've been stood down.
3: Do we not want to win this or something?
1: Well, I know. Ah. But, yeah. Anyway, basically, I'm going up against Hugo Monnier, uh, Alex Lowe of The Times, and David Flatman. In a Ooh. in a quiz hosted by Craig Doyle, which will be on BT Sports, what? Twitter, yeah. Facebook, and all the rest of it channels. What?
3: Hang on, wait a second. And they could only get one member from each podcast to show up for this.
1: Well, people are on holiday and stuff, JB.
3: Oh, is what? What were they not paying them enough? What? <laughs>
1: if, what, <laughs> what deal? No money, no money, JB. This is all How? about pride and the excitement of the game.
3: There is, I tell you what, there might be pride from our side. No pride, no pride from those guys whatsoever.
1: It might, I mean it, it may well be a logistical reason why they've picked one rather yeah. than two
3: I guess so. I mean I guess the logistics for us is we love the game the logistics for them is the sponsors weren't handing out any cash
1: unbelievable or, um, or, it, or, or, or it would have been too many windows on the screen for people to look yeah. at and it's a bit easier with four contestants
3: whatever not having it
2: <laughs> good good luck tim you're going to have to do as proud you can't let the side down
1: sorry well, I, 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 just, I just say sorry in advance because um, <laughs> I have 100% faith in
3: you.
1: Well, I mean, Alex Lowe, he, his his job is to read and write about it all the time. I've got very selective areas that I'm very good on, and if, if I don't hit any of them, I mean, I'm screwed. So anyway, like the
3: quad, like the quad round, when the players. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> if there's an identify players from their quads, I'll be sweet. <laughs> ben,
2: ben Ryan's coaching career.
3: Yeah.
2: Ben, ben Ryan's coaching career. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: no, in, in fairness, that's a pretty good panel. That it'll be. Um, it'll it'll be fairly tasty so it's 7, 7
1: 7pm it. Wednesday night yeah uh, that'd be good BT Sport hosted by Doyler so yeah it should be fun I just thought I'd give a mention to that but um, have you watched much rugby this weekend? Uh, yes I've I've had a sport filled weekend
2: I've been watching uh, the Australian Super Rugby AU Super Rugby Arturoa why? Um, yeah. I, I quite enjoyed the, the Super Rugby AU that I watched uh, we'll, we'll go into it later and I'll explain why but I quite enjoyed it um, I watched um, a good chunk of the FA Cup final and I even watched some live snooker which I really enjoy. I quite, I always quite like watching snooker. It's like oh, therapeutic.
3: People forget how amazingly big snooker was. Like amazingly big. I can't remember where I was listening to this. Oh, someone died recently, didn't they? Um, what was his name? Snooker player died this year.
1: Uh, Dennis... I say- no,
3: it was someone who'd never... Willie Thorne. A- Willie Thorne. Yeah. I think he was famous for never winning the World Championships. But people forget how, how big it was. And there's a story about some American Hollywood actor coming over to the UK and you know, hanging out with Willie Thorne. And nobody recognising the actor, but everyone recognising Willie um, Thorne. It was a <laughs> A legitimately sport.
1: Yeah, that yeah. Um, one of the bank holiday weekends in it was either in May or the summer. I don't know, but one of the bank holiday weekends, it was just every, millions of people watched it, and suddenly it's a bit like Wimbledon. I don't care for tennis for fifty weeks of the year, but I'm, I'm I get well into it for two weeks. Same with golf, the US um sorry, not the US Open, the, uh, the Ryder Cup, mad yeah. into it, and I never watch it for four years or two and a half years or however long it is.
3: <laughs>
1: and it's <laughs> the, it's the same with snooker when it's Aren't the big one. A-
3: Imagine being a tennis fan, as in watching all of the small events in between the Grand Slams. There must be people that do this, travel to the events and whatnot.
2: But people will say that about rugby as well. Because yeah. there's a huge number of people who just watch Six Nations and World Cup, and they might say, God, imagine watching a oh, sail bath on a Friday night. How dull would that be?
3: I mean, obviously, they don't know what they're talking about.
1: But... <laughs> <laughs> if it's the 3-3 draw or whatever it was from uh, the other season.
3: Three, we had a 3-3 and a
1: 6-3. Remarkable.
2: See, <laughs> so, yeah, I've, like... I've watched, I've watched plenty of sport, plenty of rugby as well this weekend.
1: It's been good. It's been. I can't I... wait for the Premiership to be back. I really can't. All right, it's going to be great. But on the subject of, well, let's start with the New Zealand uh, Arturo because that seems to be a competition which has captured our imagi- imagination, and um, I'm, I'm just loving the look of those Canterbury. Well, I, I, I want to. I think we should call them from now on rather than Canterbury Crusaders. We should call them the Canterbury Double Dongs. For their logo <laughs> now that is that's an offensive logo
3: ding <laughs> <laughs> uh, logo, I mean, are we not being offensive by saying it's offensive? who knows um they can as far as I'm concerned, they can put whatever they want on their shirt because they 're so bloody
1: good're <laughs> so good yeah,
3: they can
2: get away with it can't they
3: yeah, I suppose you 're not a little bit more upset because of course your your Timlanders got absolutely battered yeah, we did
1: I watched that t- I watched that this morning by your but- beloved. Blues, JB. But it's always made up for. It's it's always made up for by the uh, the stash that the coaches wear, <laughs> the, lumber, the lumberjack shirts.
3: <laughs> well, it's kind of it's it sort of bringing to fruition what you were suggesting last week, Tim. Which the final weekend is going to be Crusaders blues and providing um, blues, Double Dongs blues. Yeah, Double Dongs blues, um, and providing they can hold it together next week, the blues, which is not by any by any stretch uh, nailed on. That final week is going to be bloody brilliant.
2: Well, not quite, because the Blues don't play next week. The Blues have got oh. a bye week next week. Hang on it, a minute. Yeah, go on. Blues have got a bye week next week, and if the Crusaders get a bonus point win, it's over. Oh, is it? It's, yeah, it's, it's already done and dusted. In fact, they just need a win of any sort. It's not even a
3: bonus point win. Wait. You just need a.
1: Uh, yes. I am Which will make about. it a little bit of a damp squib.
3: The way I look at it is. Crusaders have lost one game. Blues have lost two games. Blues can beat the Crusaders with a bonus point and win, unless I've got all my maths. Uh,
2: well, um, so you are you are right, but you're missing the fact that Crusaders have got two additional bonus points compared to the Blues. So they are ah. two points ahead. So Crusaders just need a four-point victory, and then no matter what the Blues do in their game, um, and,
1: it's yeah.
3: over. Uh, it's not going to be Hurricanes, is it? It's going to be Highlanders, I guess. No, or uh, Cheaps.
2: So, Crusaders play Highlanders, Hurricanes play Chiefs next week. So, yeah, they... Cr- Crusaders at home to Tim's Landers. And Tim JB, JB both, both you and I, for our beloved uh, Canes and Blues respectively, we need Tim's Landers to do a job in uh, Canterbury. The,
1: boy, the boys will do a job. for <laughs> <laughs> uh, not so, uh, not so uh, sure. Smithy will sort them out. Yeah. yeah I... Oh, but the, by the way, one of the most bizarre and brilliant kind of freakish ways that a try was disallowed and a try was held up. Aaron Smith just had his foot under the... just stuck his foot out and put it under the ball as as uh, Ash Dixon, the hooker, was... was yeah. Ash, yeah, was planting it down. And absolutely awesome. And then, <laughs> and then he, yeah. He's brilliant. So, uh,
3: let's just talk... I know I've spoken about this at length, but it's starting to bother me now even more. Uh, what do you think of Damien McKenzie's game this, this week? Um, so, he kicked well. And yep. um,
2: the I felt the Chiefs made the right decisions, which they didn't at times last week, uh, going for sticks. And I think that, that's really important. Um, he's not getting a huge amount of opportunity to run with the ball in hand. Nope. Not, so, you, I don't feel like you're seeing the best of his game. Uh, but it- again, against the, the Crusaders, who have got... Uh, well, the best defense in the competition. They're so well organized and so well set up. The Canes last week on, on beating the Crusaders, they didn't get much opportunity to run with the ball. They beat them because of uh, Crusaders' ill-discipline and Jordy Barrett's kicking sticks.
1: Yeah, it's like being a fullback against Saracens, isn't it? You, you they're going to kick really intelligently, and the the chase is going to be so organized and the defensive arrangement that even if you are Liam Williams against Saracens, you, you're going to you're going to struggle to find space.
3: Yeah, so that's not sort of the bit which bothers me. I have no problem with Damien McKenzie's ball-in-the-hand running skills, surprisingly enough. But it's a, there was a tiny snippet of, of the game, which I thought, that's interesting, which is he kicks the ball, and he very kind of... He is running, he is knackered, but it's a very casual chase. He then tries to make the tackle on someone and just completely gets uh, skittled. And maybe two minutes later, the Crusaders score that try in the corner through the number eight. Is it what's his name?
1: Sanders. Tom, yeah, now, Tom Sanders. That was a hell of a now, try.
3: There's not much he can do about that. To be fair, you know, Tom Sanders is a big boy running at um, uh, running at full pace. But it reminded me of watching Geordie Barrett a few a few weeks ago, which is they kick the ball, a sort of half-ass chase. And then they try and defend high in the line, and this seems to be the problem for all three of I think who are the potential All back fullbacks, which are Jordy, um, Bowden, um, and then uh, Damian McKenzie. They all do; they're all really good with ball in hand. They're all really good playmakers. I think Geordie Barrett is the most complete fullback, but they're absolute liabilities when they enter the line. Complete, and I don't mean enter the line with ball in hand. Enter the line defensively after a kick. When they're trying to chase everyone on, on side, so there's are there's things to be said there. This to me opens up the door for someone like Will Jordan, if he can be a better fullback than those guys. That 15 shirt, I think is, I I think it's open unless the decision's already been made. They want the best players rather than the best fullback to take the field for the All Blacks.
2: Well, it, it will be an interesting decision because Bowden. Barrett back at ten for the last two weeks and has had two good games at ten. Certainly, I think he's played his best games for the Blues playing at ten. Yeah. Um, in in this game, there was two brilliant moments: one with the cross kick for Caleb Clark, and one in the second half where he dummies the cross kick and then throws like a three-man mispass out to That's... the wing, which both of them were just sublime, absolutely brilliant. But. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think it's a really interesting point, really interesting talking point because so when you've got Damian McKenzie or Jodie Barrett or Bowden Barrett at fifteen, you've got a second playmaker. Mm. Now in the past, when you've had um, Ben Smith at fullback, they've tried to use Ben Smith as a second playmaker, so bringing him into the line um, because often when you have Sonny Bill or Lau Mappy, um, for example, at um, inside center you don't have a second playmaker in the in the um, at 12 and interestingly watching the chiefs crusaders game george bridge who is likely to be one of the starters on the wing for the all blacks he was actually often coming in to be that second playmaker to either play first pivot or second pivot so yeah. i wonder yeah. if that is part of the strategy from the top down to say well maybe we don't have Mac or one of the Bo- the Barrett boys at fullback but we can get the second playmaker off the wing if George Bridges
3: is playing. That makes more sense to me and I don't think I've ever seen it in professional rugby or very cel- I'm trying to think of a, a guy who does that. I can't think of anyone really
1: But it maybe, maybe, when, maybe when Austin Healy was a jack of all trades
3: Yeah, you can hide someone on the wing I mean you've got to, I mean the other thing is well wing is no joke, international wing is, you know, you've got to be a good winger you've got to yeah. be a good winger you got to know your positions you know it's actually far more technical than anyone uh, than anyone give, gives it credit for the the problem so there's a dual problem with the tens playing 15 in new zealand it's not really a problem i guess i mean having too much 10 talent has never really been an issue <laughs> you feel sorry for a team four but first of all i don't think it's helping develop tens in new zealand so if you think about uh d-map Cruden, that'd be a, a good one. I think that having one of those guys on the bench and then splitting the game time and making them compete against each other until one is a clear, one is clearly better than the other, uh, steel shop and steel. That to me makes more sense. Otia Black in the Blues. As far as I know, and you know, I'm no expert on New Zealand rugby, but as far as I know, Otia Black is not in the running for the All Blacks job. Correct. So, why and uh, I mean, why keep him there? Why not bring? They, have, Bar- they haven't. No, no, because he's injured. He got injured, didn't not he? And then Bowden Barrett had a good game. Bowden Barrett stayed in. But that's how it should be, really, shouldn't it? It should be two guys competing for a job, and then you only get the job once you've once you've won it. I think Otia Black competing against Bowden Barrett would be far more beneficial for both of those guys, rather than sort of fudging Bowden Barrett at fifteen and putting. Oh, hello.
1: Hello. Still there.
3: Putting a tear at um, 10. On, sorry, I've uh, lost my train of yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah,
1: putting him at 10. Well, what, what, what I would maybe say, devil's advocate on that one, is New Zealand are a nation which is usually two steps ahead in any game of 4D chess, and they're probably making decisions now with World Cup 2023 in mind. Well,
3: I think what they have to be aware of is think back to the last World Cup, Eng- England's kicking game tore them to pieces.
2: Well, it was a combination, wasn't it? It was England's kicking, but then England's power through the middle, the running power game led, led by Manu and the Vunipolas and Itoje and others.
3: Jordi
1: Barrett. Sorry, if you've got a point to sort of round that fullback thing off, I, I was going to take it in a different direction, but go on.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, Jordi Barrett to me is their best option at fullback because he is the only actual fullback, but he does suffer from the same, the same frailties that the other two do. But he does other fullback things better. Um, I can't see any benefit to continuing with with Bo, with, with Bowden Barrett or Dimac at fifteen because you're basically relying on them doing amazing things to win a game rather than being a fullback. And I can't see anyone of those three and um, Will Jordan who's going to come even close to what Ben Smith offered back back in the day. I think they're going to have to rethink a little bit about how they get the second playmaker in and also they need a little bit more solidity at fullback. That said, we are talking about the best players in the world here. I'm sure <laughs> they can make it. But just, you know, yeah, it's and- like, it's
1: like um, as, as amazing as some of those New Zealand wingers have been over the years, and they're, they're brilliant specimens in their own right, guys like Julian Surveyor. Sometimes, relatively speaking, it's a piece of piss being a New Zealand winger. <laughs> 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 we well, you've got to be as quick and be able to catch a ball, and you've got 10 tries a season for the All Blacks. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, probably, probably not even that
2: quick. Just catch a ball and fall over the line.
3: I wonder what they're going to do with um, Iwani. Because he's playing 13. I'm still not convinced that he's a 13. He's an incredible winger. I think he's going to be back in the All Black squad. I mean, I don't know what the yeah, All Black squad is. Yeah, of course is.
1: he'll be in the squad. Uh, but this, this is the thing. This is why I'm saying it's all 2023. Now's the time to try things out. And th- they may well come to the conclusion when they debrief at the end of this season. And it's the cool thing about their structure, where Steve Hansen can sit around with Robinson and and an Aaron Major and all the rest of it, and say, "Yeah, this worked. This didn't work. Let's. How about we focus on this? Because it's a kind of mutually beneficial scenario." So,
3: um, well, Steve Hansen's not the coach
1: anymore, is he? Well, of course. But yeah, you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, Fozzy.
1: Um, just,
2: just on um on Rico Yuani, because I I think it, there's no doubt he will be in the squad. I think he will probably be on the pitch. I think there's a good chance, with Laomapi injured, um, Goodhue has been playing 12, and so you're likely to see Goodhue and Yuani as you start in 12-13 combination. And then,
3: right, I, don't, I mean, I do like them, obviously. I think they're both phenomenal players. I, I, in my mind, I can't see how that combination works.
2: I, I think that combination could work very handily. <laughs> I, really, I actually really like that combination. But they're just. Do you not think they're too similar?
3: Uh, I mean, they're basically. Goodhue and Yuani. as in they're both pace players. They're both. they both lethal with ball in hand. Neither of them is a, is particularly a, particularly. A, Good, a, Goodhue's
1: got a bit of the Comrade Smith about him for me. Just that kind of all rounder. Yeah,
2: and a bit of the Crotty about him. Yeah, yeah. Goodhue's not exceptional in any category, but he's way above average at uh, every single thing.
3: He is pretty rapid.
2: He, he's pretty. He's not as uh, he's not as rapid as Rico Yuani. I wouldn't. I would suggest. I could be wrong about that.
3: I see them as both. I see them both as speedsters. Interesting. Uh, I,
2: so I'm. I'm different with Goodhue.
3: Where is Ryan, um, Ryan Crossy now? Uh, Japan. Tell you what, they're all good. I. Anyone showing up to Japan in holiday mode is going to get a, <laughs> a rude awakening. When <laughs> yeah. they there is Unless they all have a little talent. gentleman's
1: agreement, just. Uh, you know, hey bro,
3: why 70, we 75,
1: here? What are we doing today? Seventy-five percent, sixty percent. what are we at today?
3: <laughs> As no one's watching, pick up, our, pick up our cheque and go home, boys.
1: <laughs> on the strong zero. <laughs> we've all seen. We've all seen someone in our team do that uh, at some point down the, down the years. Do that thing where they manage to, well, they try or they try to look like they're trying, maybe to to reach a covering tackle, but just not can't quite make it. What a shit. <laughs> It's an art. It's an art. Baining. It? Baining. the stumble. Just before we depart New Zealand, just one thing, and you were talking about the sort of match in England's power and pace, in the, or power, sorry, in the World Cup that they didn't manage to. That's been one feature of the last couple of weeks, particularly the number of driving malls, the number of really big, powerful scrums, and Tuunga Fassi for Auckland Blues is one of the standout players. Absolutely Brilliant. monster in everybody in the scrums. And there's a lot of power play going on. Which he, he put in a huge hit. I think it was on Cruden
2: last week as well. Where he absolutely nailed him. Just timed it perfectly. Yeah.
3: Uh, well, okay. Let's just think about this a second. One of the things which does concern me about the New Zealand player of pool, uh, the player pool, pool pool of players. Who are the guys that are going to stand up to the All black As I stand up to the Springboks and beat and beat them.
2: Um, the physicality. Well, it depends Depends what part of the pitch. So, your second rows, um, Whitelock and Ritalik and Scotty Barrett, they've all been fairly handy. And Tui Pilotto is just... Tui Tui Pilotto, Pilotto, no. this is the best I've ever seen him play.
1: Yeah, and Lau so Mapi got... in midfield, 100% well. No, no, j-
3: just just in the pack, though, because that's what I worry about. I worry about... Yeah, you mentioned some good second rows there, but the South African second rows are... They're, their own, they might be the best set of second rows that we've ever seen, as like as a group, ever, like ever in the history of the sport. So, <laughs> like, the new, this is all good but the, the it's like monstrous.
1: The, the back rows, where the evolution's gonna happen in the in the New Zealand team, that's that's gonna be the big evolution between World Cups. Is the back row, and
3: and who are you who are you looking at there then? Who who, who is, who's made you think? Yeah, that's he's a game changer.
1: Uh, well, one that's made me think he could be an interna- a class international player by the next World Cup is Dalton Papali. He's He's uh, right. got some proper raw raw attributes.
3: I, and I he's going to be young. Lots of hard work too. I, mean, I,
2: I, think like there's a, I think there's quite a few back rows, um, particularly particular sixes. Um, so Lachlan Boshia in, yeah. in a bad team has been exceptional. Yeah, du- Duplessis Carithi has been superb. Shannon Frizzell, again, who's, who's had a little chance in the past for the All Blacks. All of those boys are looking absolute class.
3: So you've effectively got two spots to fill in, in the back row, haven't you? Because Sam Kane's going to play.
2: Sam Kane is going to play, and Wait. perhaps not deservedly based on form.
3: Exactly. So I mean, I I'm loving Yuani at the moment. I, Akira, I think he's I think he's doing really well, but he looks like a bench option. Um, Shannon Frizzell's ace. So Toto's
1: 21. Don't forget.
3: So the Yeah, he might even play for Fiji. I don't don't know. Who knows? Or, Engl- or England. Or England, uh, I, I think Ardy is undeniable. Actually,
2: yeah, Ar- Ardy. <laughs> They've actually, got Yes, yeah. so th- they've got a fair few options there, and th- yeah, th- and their scrums normally quite
3: handy. The, <laughs> th- the problem is, Ardy, Frizzell, and Sam Kane are all incredible, but they're all quite small. <sighs> when I say small, I mean small in 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 the land of. South South African backwards.
2: Yeah, um, yeah.
3: Peter, Peter the Toy.
2: Peter the toy. But Peter Steptadoy is just, I mean, as an all-round player, he's he's not like a he's not like a Billy or a Pickamalls, is he?
3: Yeah, but they've also got like Vermarlin and who's, yeah. who's has Vermarlin not retired from international? Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm giving you examples of like big physical players. Who they? I mean, they. I mean, if they wanted to, right? They could literally go and pick the sale Sharks back real, who are all bigger South Africans than what they have in than what they have in, in New Zealand. I mean, they 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 grow these guys just on trees.
1: The, well, the, they've, they've they've got they've got options, and maybe, like I say, in terms of the evolution of their game, maybe we'll see something to twenty twenty three. Maybe they're plotting and planning. But um, brilliant an competition, and, and oh yeah, go on, Phil. Just just one other thing, I I, I think. So, in terms of size and
2: physicality, there may be some concerns, but do you know how many rugby championships South Africa have won in the last 10 years? Oh, one. One, yes. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, and I'm, New Zealand New Zealand have won seven or eight of the last 10 years. So, I'm not too certain they're going to be that concerned. They're, obviously, they'll be concerned going against the world champions, but um, they're not going to be terrified of it.
3: Yeah, Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... But, but it's, did they beat him in the World Cup? Yes, they Yes, he did. Didn't
2: they? New Zealand beat South Africa in the opening game, didn't they?
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be, it'll be a cracking game.
2: Uh, well, yeah, rugby championship would be good. It'd be good to get some international rugby back if it goes ahead as potentially planned.
1: Well, speaking of international rugby, it appears that we're going to get uh the, the what what was muted last week. I don't know if it's still been officially confirmed. Has no, it been officially confirmed now? The Japan Fiji eight team mm-hmm. tournament.
2: I So I don't believe so. I, I, believe, I don't even believe... So I, I was looking through my World Rugby um, emails, the official announcements um, just before. I don't even believe the um, extended international window that they've proposed has been formally signed off. Right. Yeah. I certainly don't have a press release confirming that. Um, and that that is an extended window from, I think it's the 24th of October through to the first week in December, which would allow two weeks at the end of October, start of November, to conclude this year's Six Nations because Italy and Ireland need to play and then you need to have the final round of games. Yeah. And then there'll be a one-week break followed by the um, the eight-team proposed tournament, which would be the Six Nations plus then Fiji and either Japan or Georgia, I think, was the potential. But yeah. again, I don't think any of that's actually formally concluded yet.
3: Yeah, they've done two groups, haven't they?
2: Two lopsided groups from looking at it. France, Scotland, Italy, Japan, and then England, Ireland, Wales, and Fiji.
3: Oh, right. Wow.
2: So it does feel about
1: as lopsided as you could get it.
3: Yeah, pretty... pretty. And, and what do they do? Do they play a final after all? I don't like it. I yeah. don't like it.
1: They, they play three games and then a final.
2: Yeah. And it's not ideal, but I, I really... I don't care. I want to see rugby back and I want to see um, money into the game back.
3: Let's ask, what is the obsession with tournaments? I mean, there is a time for a tournament. It's once every four years. Uh, (laughs) Obviously, there's the Six Nations. What is wrong with test matches? Because with a test match, you're starting with a clean sheet, a blank slate, some other, some other cliche, which I can't can't, can't think of. Uh, But you do that every game. And a test match is really, really important You hit the reset button, you go again,
1: right? It's so that England can play Ireland and Wales and it doesn't feel as stale as an England v. Ireland game that isn't in the Six Nations should feel.
3: Yeah, because they have done this, haven't they? Having home nations tests,
1: nobody cares. No one cares.
3: Good point. Maybe it's just for the benefit of England and Wales and home nations. But just, just play bloody tests play test is the pinnacle a test match is the pinnacle of um, of the game and you don't need it in tournament format
2: so I, i'm i'm pretty much on board with that but it's when it, they, they're not trying to pitch um, international rugby towards three are they because we will we, we'll be watching it whatever happens um they'll be they're trying to pitch it to a wider audience it, it, yep. it's as simple as that and it, they feel creates that a the narrative yeah, yeah. You
3: know, Every decision that rugby makes, right? and this is—I you know, I don't care what the thing is which they're doing—they always say it's to appeal to a wider audience. <laughs> I do not know anyone who was who was not going to watch the test match between Fiji and another team, and then thought actually it's in the form of a
1: tournament. I'm going to watch Fiji versus. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it does. It creates it creates narratives that people people understand.
3: Test, match create, test matches create narratives. In ten years' time, do you think that people will turn around and say, "Wasn't it amazing when 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 Wales won the coronavirus shield?" <laughs> coronavirus, or whatever called? No, because it's never going to happen again. So, uh, I mean, if it, and I wonder if that's part of it. I wonder if part of it is world rugby want to build basically. Or, you know, plant, you know, plant the seed of a tournament which they own, which can compete with the Six Nations. Because I think you're the-
1: overthinking it. I really think you're overthinking it.
3: <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Maybe they just want to play some games.
1: You just want something more to moan about, G V. No, I'm just- I do
3: Yeah, okay. Right, I'll tell you what. I'll- I'll- I'll-
1: I'll- very, very quickly, I'll let you get that out of your system then. Exeter Chiefs made their decision on their branding and said they will retire Big Chief, their mascot, but will keep their logo. No one cares.
3: Um, they have probably done the right thing. They've done it for the wrong reasons. You know, you can't bow to these online mobs. These people have got nothing better to do with their lives and process about things. The person behind the Chiefs for Change thing, as from what I can tell, is nothing more than a career, than a career campaigner against something or or another. Their statement, um, their victory statement was ridiculous, which is extra chiefs have now offended or now, um, you know, I can't remember what it was, but they've affected all minorities. I mean, that's clearly wrong and a stupid thing to say. And Exit Chiefs are absolutely right to keep their their, their their overall branding. Now, I would like it. I'd like a different brand because I don't think it's, you know, a very good badge, but they've done it. So um, that is their brand. And I tell you what, if I was to revisit one of my predictions, which turns out is 100% correct, is this which is these people never give up they never give up not because they care about anyone or they care about social justice they care about they care about compliance this will never be enough and then when they do change something else that will never be enough it's not about improving the lives of anyone it's about a very small handful of individuals demanding compliance from a sport because fundamentally these individuals involved are unimportant and they and they somehow want to be involved in, in, in the large conversation. It's narcissism. It's about them. It's not about the sport. It's not about social justice. It's just about compliance. And well done Exeter Chiefs for broadly holding, uh, broadly holding the line.
1: Phil, what, what was your thoughts when you saw the statement from Exeter Chiefs? Um, I mean, I, I
2: kind of with what GV said initially, which is most people don't care about this. Um, I, I don't think Extra have done a bad thing in doing what they've done. Albeit JB is probably right that they that the people campaigning will probably just continue because what they've done will never be perceived to be enough. So I I, I don't mind exchanging the I, I'd say not the name but the the logo and retiring Big Chief. You can take it or leave it on either of those. What the bit that I don't like is the campaign seemed to be based on a logic that extra chiefs were doing legitimate harm their branding was doing legitimate harm and that i mean not only do i think that is not actually accurate so not correct but also in a world where you've got tens of thousands of people dying from a virus and we are in the midst of what could be one of the worst recessions ever there is actual legitimate harm going on in the world that um, any time and energy and money could have been much better spent dealing with. And so I just feel like this is, um yeah, it's, it's probably um, it's a misguided effort because it's people who want to um, take offence and cause a scene rather than do some actual good.
1: I'd be okay if Exeter had changed their logo. I'm, I'm absolutely, yeah. absolutely okay that they haven't. I'm content with their decision to retire their mascot. I think the yeah. people that have brought up all this grievance are well-meaning, but here's, here's, here's something which I, I honestly believe is a majority view. Probably agree with what Phil and I just said. And I think that people who throw their grievances around and the label racist around casually on behalf yeah. of a group that they cast as helpless and need saving makes things far worse, not better. And so and, and echo what Phil said about um, other, other things, if, if you really want to use rugby... I just like rugby because it's a bloody great sport and I like cl- the clubhouse and a beer afterwards and I like meeting all the different people and all the rest of it. Uh, but if you really want to make rugby a, a means to leverage like social change or Im- improve people's lives, then, you know, there's, there's reports starting to come out about manufacturers, um, sporting goods manufacturers, naming no names at this point, who, um, who are using uh, basically Chinese gulags full of Uyghur Muslims whose organs and hair is being harvested to make those sporting goods. Maybe... You could use rugby to try and leverage a bit of social change by applying some pressure there. Or, if you are worried about the the, the Exeter Chiefs logo um, and the harm it the harm you claim it is actually physically doing uh, in a, in the in the United States, uh, where have you been for twenty years when the Dubai Sevens has been in a country where you cannot be gay, and if they, you're found to be gay in that country, you get thrown off of a building? Um, where, where have you been for twenty years? Because there's loads of ways you can use rugby to to, to change the lives of people who we can demonstrate are physically actually being harmed,
3: so 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 listen to this. how cynical is this? I was talking to somebody who is very senior in a different sport, not rugby, and they have a social I'm not going to tell you which cause it is, but they have a social justice tribute when their league reopens today. and uh, when this when this initially came, when this initially was mentioned, um someone said yeah i don't think we should do we we, i don't think we should do anything only to get overruled um and say actually no we need to do something and it wasn't because we need to improve the situation of xyz minority it was because our messaging needs to be on brand for our sponsors and our tv partners i mean this is the world that we're living in now There, there was there was no concern about the underlying issue there was no concern about you know any suffering going on. It was literally a commercial decision. And, you know, and yet we put up with this and we, and we think it's good. They're not thinking about their fans. They're not thinking about um, what it means to put politics into sport. They're not thinking about any of these actual, um, you know, any of the actual things and problems that they are causing. They're, they're, they're just doing it because they want to be seen to be doing the right thing for sponsors. They don't even know what the sponsor wants. They're just saying, oh, we our messaging needs to be on point. It's, it's a joke.
1: Well, in, t- in terms of an evidence-based approach and uh, an empirical numbers, which I do think is important in this, that, that I, just, I, I think just one quick word on a, on a different but kind of related point. I, I just want to say well done f- to World Rugby for the way they are sensitively and principally handling the transgender issue in rugby because they are, they are pioneering. They're, they're, doing, they're, they're doing things which no other sport, not even the International Olympic Committee, have broached. And they 're looking at maybe going beyond the beyond beyond the scope of any other sport on earth, and I think they're doing it in a really really diligent way and sensitive way and respectful way, but world rugby are, are ultimately coming down on the side of the evidence on, on the on a very difficult transgender issue yeah, so yeah.
2: You're, you're specifically referring to I think it was last week when world rugby have announced that they have been doing investigations into uh, transgender women play in women's rugby and the potential harm even when they've because currently or, or and previously they have adopted the olympic guidelines on um, reduced testosterone for a 12-month period but the evidence is on the side that that does not have a a large enough impact on the strength or performance of um transgender women um, having reduced testosterone who have gone through um male puberty but have reduced testosterone for twelve months basically it's not enough and from from what I read, it was a um a likelihood of twenty to thirty percent greater chance of um women being harmed by trans women in that so yeah.
1: Uh, and, and stronger by 25 to 50%, 30% more powerful, 40% heavier, 15% f- faster. And as you say, about 20 to 30% greater risk of injury um, just purely by a tackle uh, by, by those individuals who have gone through male puberty.
2: Yes. And then um, become a, a trans woman. Yes. Yeah. And it, I, it just seems, it seems an incredibly sensible approach um and some of the complaints around this uh have been on um well one trans women are women which i am I'm, I'm fine with absolutely fine with that statement let anyone do whatever they want until the point where it incre- significantly increases um harm to to any group to to the trans women or to the or to other women mm-hmm. at that point it just gets a bit ridiculous to continue carrying on saying That blunt statement.
3: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I'm I'm torn on this. First of all, uh, I don't think I needed a scientific study to prove this. I didn't need a scientific uh, study to prove men are stronger than women with or without testosterone any more than I need a scientific study to say to tell me the effects of a rising tide on sandcastles. You know,
1: I I knew. But quantifying it empirically is is useful. And it's the I like uh, like that 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 phrase. Whoever came up with that phrase, I don't know. Facts don't care about your feelings. It was such a sensitive topic it draws the sting out and it just, is just pure numbers and you can't argue with facts.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of knew it. You know, I, I, I know how many moons are in the sky. I, I, I just know these things. Um, but I will say this, where I am torn is I am incredibly sympathetic to yeah. individuals. They only want to play the game mm. because, because they love the sport. And that's, that's a bit which I feel really, really bad about. Um, they are individuals who are struggling with their identity and they just want to play rugby they're no different to you and i who want to play rugby but their situation probably will not allow them to do so and having some other solution for them like only transgender rugby and that's never going to work cuz it's probably Op- not enough.
1: open categories
3: yeah there's probably not going to be enough to play and actually by even saying it's transgender rugby you're sort of denying their um you're you're denying them the fact that they are a, that they are a woman if that makes sense a woman yeah. who should be in women's sport so I, yeah, it's um, I, it's good that there comes this conclusion but I get no joy from it I, I, Well, it's, I, it's, it's November
1: yeah. at the World Rugby Council meeting when they're going to actually decide it's still in a in a deliberation process but what, what they had was stakeholders from all sides giving uh, evidence to a to a panel and and I just so ultimately we'll find out what the result was going to be it appears like it's leaning towards being the very first sport to say Boy. that it's it's not safe to to do so uh, but I just I just above everything I just want to praise World Rugby for the process and and the way they're they're handling a really really difficult issue and pioneering this uh,
3: well I would just say um, you said something interesting like an open category Tim I would be open to it yeah you know, but I would just you know, an open category just means men playing against transgender women,
1: doesn't it? Uh, well, no, no, it just like it means if someone felt really strongly that there is no and some people believe there is no difference between the genders whatsoever we should gender shouldn't even be a thing. It's all socially constructed and an X,Y versus an XX chromosome, there's no difference. Some people might feel so strongly that they go, oh, "I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and choose an open category," they, they can go and do it, but at least then it's people choosing to understand the risks.
3: Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's. I, I think it's a reasonable thing to say. I, I think the. I think an open sport is a very interesting idea. Um, although I just don't think you'd get a single woman playing, and the women that did play, it would not be. It would not mm. be good. It wouldn't
1: be. Yeah, good for, it, it's a really uh, difficult yeah. subject because the whole ethos of rugby is is, incl- is inclusive, and that's something we all agree on. And, and this is what I would say on people with with all of these topics, whether it's Exeter's logo, or whatever, everything. Uh, everybody on all sides, all stakeholders want the same thing. Just we have different opinions on how to get there and and what the nuances and what the right decisions are and so it, its it, it doesn 't help when you know as i said when when people call exeter racist doesn 't help when people might listen to this conversation and say transphobe because of <laughs> of uh, people will some people will and it doesn 't help and it 's wrong and to be fair, but you 've got so much on your plate already
3: being a moon landing denier. <laughs> that you can't possibly have Trump.
1: Yeah, totally. Anyway, anyway, that's the social justice portion of the podcast. Let's get back to some rugby.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.
1: Some rumours, some rumours. We all like a rumour. Uh, the Premiership is 12 days away as we record this. Maybe 11 days away as you listen to it. And uh, it looks like, well, Rob Simmons, we mentioned last week, has been confirmed going to London Irish. They're going to finish fourth because they've got a second big money Australian lock.
2: Yeah, get, keep,
1: if, keep signing them. Keep signing them and they'll keep doubling up on their league position. Yeah, uh, so this
3: signing, before we move on from that, this signing is not so much a gain for London Irish. But a huge loss for Australia. Because Australia have got no, got no
1: locks, from what I can tell. They've got no money either. So I'd, I'd suggest that there's probably a balance of loss there. They're probably thinking, well, that's a big one off the books. Good. Rob yeah. S- Presumably
2: Rob Simmons falls into the um, yeah. uh, ghetto law, the 60 cap
1: territory. I'm
2: just looking him up now.
1: The soon uh, to be scrapped Gitto law, which soon it'll just be do whatever you want.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, 98 caps. So yes, he does. he'll be able to play for them
3: regardless. Raylene Castle really left Australian sport in, in good nick, didn't she? When she left,
2: <laughs> when, when, when she got pushed out,
3: the world's best sports administrator. She really. She, really, you know, Australian rugby is in a, in, a, in in great shape.
2: Well, I did just just on that, I did. I watched. Um, I watched the last thirty minutes of the uh, Brumbies Reds game. I don't know if either of you have seen any of this.
1: So, so uh, a little bit of it. Uh, say last I, bit I can, can I just say? Uh, <clears throat> I want to applaud the what's the number 8 guy? got? Number eight, Harry Wilson. I want to oh, applaud yeah. how tight his shorts were. They were he, tiny. He's a big, strong boy. The big, big old legs, and he wanted he wanted people to see as much of those quads as possible. Yeah, he, it was like sunny Sunny Bill Williams esque shorts.
2: And I, I do love so the two number eights in in this game. Both big strong boys. Pete Samu, I love for his tucked-in mm. shirt as well. Yeah. He tucked in up to the, up to the navel as well. It's like a really distinctive look.
3: So Michael Jordan, I'm sure I got this wrong, but the basketball shorts used to be really really short. Yeah. Michael Jordan showed up and had them a bit longer, and then I reckon he just had
1: bad quad. he just had, yeah, rubbish quads.
3: <laughs> well, I feel like who's going to do that? What is the next sporting trend that is going to occur? And maybe it's really high short lines.
2: Ooh, yeah, I can get <laughs> on board
3: with that. Of <laughs> um,
2: so th- this game, so the Brumbies were 14 3 up going into the second half. And then the Reds scored 17 unanswered points in about 15 minutes to go 20 points to 14 up. And the whole of the last 30 minutes was both teams trying their hardest to make the worst possible decisions and and execute them even worse to both lose this game. If both teams could have lost this game, that would have been the fair result. Because (laughs) even even within the last two minutes, um, both teams, just the... The number of turnovers, knock-ons, bad decisions. I mean, what there's there's 50 seconds left on the clock. The Reds win a penalty just inside their own half. They kick for a line out, um, they kick it into touch, and you think, right, they've got they've got about 40 seconds to close this game out. They just win the line out, a couple of phases, kick it out, and they lose the line out. But then the Brumbies kick the ball away straight away. And but then manage it to get it back and Fifteen phases later, um, the red reserve uh, flanker who score who secured a brilliant turnover two minutes earlier gives a penalty away for taking out the nine trying to go for a turnover, and the Brumbies win, <laughs> um, but only because of incompetence on both sides. Now, it was very entertaining to watch it, but it was some, someone actually tweeted us um, to say like. Um, watch this game because um, and compare it to the standard of uh, Super Rugby Aotearoa, and I enjoyed both of them lots but the standard there is a marked difference between the standard of both the execution
1: and the decision making. Probably a metaphor for Australian rugby loads of loads of endeavour and loads of enthusiasm just really poorly executed. You could Uh, talk about the administration of the game, the way they come up with the TV deals.
2: Yeah. Badly thought through. Badly,
1: yeah.
2: And executed even
3: worse. Are you making an argument for empires empires in in rugby, as well as referees now? So, at the end of the game, so the ref ref, refs it, right at the end of the game, if both teams have been appalling the empire, (laughs) I can step and say, you've both lost. (laughs) (laughs) Strike it off.
2: I, I... I would be happy in this game. I think that would be fair. No I, one, no one wins.
3: Yeah, or like a league commissioner. I've I've always wanted a league commissioner for the Premiership, very much in the shape of Vince McMahon, or maybe a. <laughs> but yeah, Vince McMahon would be perfect. Just as as they're coming off, he's storming down, down the tunnel to his entrance music to declare, "You've both lost, or you've got to do thirty <laughs> minutes." More. It's not acceptable.
2: What what I will say is, it, it actually it really meant something to the Brumbies. So this was, them. this was them at home going four from four um, and doing it in difficult circumstances because they, they probably shouldn't have won, they didn't really deserve to, but they, they um, ground it out in the end and got the result. And it really meant something to the players, which that is really genuinely good to see.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, back for, back, so that was on Australian coming to the UK. It looks like London Irish might be following that up with Augustine Creevey. Mm. Yeah,
3: I mean, an expensive way. Well, a good a good way to uh, empty a bank to, to empty a bank account. Augustine Crevy is one of those players that everybody raves about, but the finished product I don't think is often there from him. He was at Worcester for two years when they did he get relegated with them or did he sign when they were relegated? Um, he, yeah, I think
2: he played in the championship with them.
3: Definitely played played in the championship. Uh, everyone raved, raved about him in the uh, Haguarez for his offloads and whatnot and I kind of don't really care if, if my hockey can offload, I care if he can throw in and scrimmage, um, a good way to waste your money, hopefully he can come on and make an impact and uh, contribute in some way, I just don't think I would do it
2: um, I, I've always liked Creevey and I think he's done very well in not great teams which, he, I mean, you can only do as well as the people around you, how can you sort like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys? Exactly. Uh, but, he I mean, he's 35 now, 36, early next year. Um It, it, it depends how much they're going to be paying him. That,
1: yeah, that I, be I'd suggest they're not me. paying premium money, and he's yeah. clearly a short-term solution. But I think that's basically London Irish have a short-term, short-term priorities at the moment while they let their academy come through. I think basically that's the balance. It's buy into big names, get the academy working.
3: So, so Wasps had a situation a few years ago when, uh, all their hookers were injured, and they ended up picking up this this little bloke from um, Macclesfield, who used to play at Stockport. Or Rother,
1: I think he was at Rotherham at the time, or something like that. Uh, Tom Cruise.
3: And look what happened there, eh? A solid Premiership contributor now. And those and you know, there's lads like Tom to, Tom Cruise up and down the country. If you go and give give them a chance, you know, you don't need to pay them big money, but you might have a hooker there for three four three four years, and he's only got better to, um uh, sit, sit, since he was pu- pulled out the Championship.
1: I, I, hey, I, I prefer that way of working. That's what I would do. Uh, I prefer that way of working, particularly given the fact that there's even more talk of a of a ring-fence premiership or at least a, a several-year moratorium on, on relegation.
2: Yeah, let, let's let's go on to that. I, w- I will just say, to in London Irish's credit, they have just signed two young lads. So they, they announced four signings last week. Rob Simmons, Tom Hone being been the headlines. And they announced... Well, Charl- Charlton Kerr from England Sevens, who is an alternative route, and Matt Cornish um, from Ealing Trailfinders. So they're, they're doing a bit of everything. Then it seems like their recruitment is not just fixated on ageing stars like Simmons, Sean O'Brien, and Creevy.
3: Yeah, uh, big fan of Tom Homer. Big fan. I don't think he's maybe fulfilled all the potential he had as a. Uh, uh, as a young lad, when he had the golden boots and everything else. He doesn't even kick now from what I understand. Um, but, good, solid signing. He's got roots to that club. I think he's the sort of player that they should be going after. Mm.
1: Um, just before, before we go on to the Championship, uh, Buffelli to Bath, rumored and Benders, partly because of Tom Homer. Oh no, uh, no, no, it was it was Leicester, and, oh no, London Irish were one of the ones looking at him, but uh, Benders is going to stay in France, it looks like, in Prodeux. Oh, that, that's...
2: That's Would another interesting one, actually. Um, Iber toya. Oh yeah, to Argen. That what? is a that is a weird signing.
3: Just, Anyone any inkling of what might have happened? Because I don't. Um,
2: he he's probably so he's been talked about as potentially being near the England squad. Although I don't he was think brought
1: he was brought in to training squads by Eddie Jones. Okay,
2: um, and I assume he's got in his head that he wants England money. Um, but Harlequins don't see him as a, an England money type player, but he can potentially get that in
1: France. And is this one of those things where, because w- w- I would have thought he would have been of interest to other premiership clubs, but is this just him going for a certain amount of cash or is this one of those things where the rumoured deal done in secret between premiership clubs not to sign each other's players might be coming to fruition? You don't, I don't know. I,
2: I, I would assume he's not going to get, because he loses the academy credits um, going to another Going to another premiership club, he's actually less attractive to another premiership club than he is to Harlequins. So, I assume, and I might be totally wrong in this, but I assume that simply the most money he can get is by going to France.
3: Now, I'm I maybe putting two and two together and getting five here, but it does strike me that Paul Gastard does not in any way value wingers. <laughs> actually, he might say, The value I get from these guys. It's just not worth it. I can spend it on second rows. Yeah, and I'm on board with that, I guess. But during his tenure, he's lost Charlie Walker, who was going great guns. Um, Maitland retired. I think M- Molyneux. Not Maitland. Maitland. Visser. Yeah. Sorry, Visser. Yeah, the other Scottish lad. Um,
1: Nicky Viss- Gonover. Yeah
3: that's another one and now of course evitoria now uh go back to rugby dungeon i think it's alluded to on there when i interviewed uh, charlie walker but he just looks for different things and if you're not if you don't fit into that category of winger that he wants or winger that he's willing to pay for um you have to sling your hook now that might be the case it might not be it might simply be the case that he didn't want to take his 25% pay cut and off he went or he might want he might want a new deal but i guess what is has he left because his deal has run out? Because this would be deal running out time in nor- in normal circumstances.
1: Yeah, maybe. Um, my, my guess is a little bit. Uh, you're probably right. Where uh, Paul Gustard's philosophy is, you know, in a kind of what's the what's what was that film again with the baseball money, money coach. ball? Yeah, it, it, in a money ball kind of fashion, he probably prioritised. He, he would probably prioritise winger as a place where you can relatively save money and he had that young lad come through did, did brilliantly in your fancy rugby draft team Phil which what's his C- name again Caden Murley Caden Murley
2: Caden, Caden Murley and Iber Toya are great examples you let go mm. of Visser and Charlie Walker who were both on big money deals and bring in two 19-20 year olds who can do 95% of the job for 40% of the price
1: yeah Marlon, Marlon Yard was another player that they had yeah that was in the Kingston I think That
3: yeah yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah not a good start uh, removal
3: but on um, on Betoje, earlier on this season, he had more defenders beaten than any other player in any of the three top European leagues. Pro 14, Premiership, and top 14. So, you know, he's a serious talent.
1: Yeah, No, no, no doubt. I think it might be a money ball situation and therefore either his expectation of cash was, wasn't one that Harlequins were willing to meet.
3: Yeah. And yeah. That's a, I mean, if it is the case that Gustard has a... Philosophy and like a wage structure and if you don't fit into that as a winger or you don't do the things that he wants and therefore he gets rid of you I've got a lot of respect for that I mean it's not great for the player but it's nice to know if that was the case that they are building a team in a certain fashion in a, in a certain way
2: mm. Yeah I can get on board with that as well if, and we'll, we'll probably see down the line there'll be more of these kind of decisions made by By wins, potentially.
1: Yeah, and 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 I wouldn't begrudge any player. uh, You know, because some people might say, "Oh, I wish he's he's a young local lad. He should have taken his 25% pay cut and and carried on and and dug in." Everyone's, but I don't. Bearing in mind, one tackle can end a player's career. I don't begrudge any player if there's a great deal on the table and you want to take that cash. Get your money. Crack on.
2: Yeah, it's a, a certain, whatever it is, 300k a year compared to a speculative um, 25k a game for England. Uh,
1: England, uh, uh, England
3: yeah. England money isn't worth it. Unless you're, unless you're Mario or Billy, England money isn't worth it because there's a good chance you're not getting it. Yeah. Yes.
1: On, on the Championship, uh, then, for, like, how can you summarise what it's Ed Griffith, isn't it, on behalf of the, the Championship clubs, remod, talking about remodelling the second tier of English rugby as a heartland? tournament with different principles and it appears to be by learning some of the lessons of um, Premiership Rugby and the RFU and the difficulties they've found themselves in in recent years Yeah it's
2: it's an interesting proposal I mean I can't help but think it's pie in the sky but the, the proposal is it would restructure the Premiership in a couple of ways it would ring fence it for four years from 2021 through to 2025 potentially um, with then a, a voting process or a panelled process to get um, promotion or relegation. But it would also see all of the premiership clubs relinquish their academies. So the 13 current academies would get restructured into six regional academies that would be centrally operated and they would fund the 12 teams in the championship with players the teams in the Championship would have um, age and salary limits on those players. So you couldn't get someone like, um, was the old Cornish prop, Paver? Someone like that. Yeah, Alan Paver, yeah. Yeah, or Kettle, um, Gavin Kettle, was it? Um, Gavin Kettle. Kettle, who played for years. or These boys who, who are in their 30s and beyond have played a huge amount of Championship Rugby. Um, you would totally restructure that league. So it is basically a feeder league to the premiership and each season there would be a draft which the premiership clubs could pick the best players in a sequential order. Mm. That's the, that's the proposal. I can't, there there seems to be in my mind so many places where this is just going to fall down that I just cannot see you getting over the myriad of hurdles to make even half of it work.
1: I love, I love the, I love the creative thinking behind it and, uh, Uh, And it's sort of if you could make it work, it would solve a lot of problems simultaneously. I I think you're probably right. There are so many ways that it's going to be almost impossible to implement this and to police it that I I, I just I don't see it happening. But I really, really like that someone's taking a bit of a left field um, approach to trying to, rather than just tweaking little tiny things, trying to root and branch. How can we how can we make this sustainable? 20 years from now.
3: Very strange that Ed Griffiths is involved, though, isn't it?
2: What do you think? He's, he's, a, he's a well-connected man.
3: Um, nope. he, Ed Griffiths is Mr. Saracens, isn't he?
2: He is, and he was brought back. Obviously, he's not been for the last few years, but he was brought back to try and save their bacon Um
3: well, why earlier he, this year. Does anyone remember why he left this time around?
2: Uh, so I listened to him. There was quite a good interview with um, Will Greenwood um, in January when he, when he first came back, and he did briefly talk about it. And it, it's something to do with I, uh, my my inference was it was something to do with the first salary cap issue that got um, settled.
3: Exactly what I think. So yeah. he left for the first, because of the first salary cap. Um, he came in for the second salary cap. I, I'm a little bit not, sus- yeah, I am. I'm a little bit suspicious of Ed Griffiths being behind this with his previous links to Saracens. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I, me too.
2: But would take it on face value. Um, I just can't see it working. I can't, I can't see, can't see you getting anywhere near that structure. But hey, I could be totally wrong.
1: Totally. Yeah. Look, at, look at World Rugby with the the way they, they wanted to revolutionize the uh, international rugby season and what ends up happening is you might get all oh, an extra weekend. We wanna we wanna make a have a global season. Well, no, we're not gonna do that. Just it's like a massive tanker trying to change direction. It takes a long time because there are so it's such a big well, for for a small for a sport that is actually quite a small sport relative to others, it's it's so difficult to manoeuvre. So, I, yeah, I don't see it working. But I, I really like that someone's thinking of it differently.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. R- r- remains to be seen. I'm too sceptical of the individuals involved. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, watch out
1: for that one. Sounds like you sound a bit like a conspiracy theorist, there, JB. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, if was going to get somebody to do this. If I was going to get someone to do something which would benefit the championship, it would probably would be linked. it probably would be someone like Nigel Ray or someone linked to Nigel Ray. I would just like a little bit more openness as to how this has come about, because I think Nigel Ray is a phenomenal businessman, um, and yeah, one of those rugby people who, despite what he's done in the past, yeah, you, know, you can't deny. You know, he's built a a, a great thing, a great thing at Saracens.
1: Well, well, I'll give you, I'll give you that. Well, so Saracens are in a unique position that they've been on top of the the English game, and they've fallen foul of the rules, which some which, which the um, the teams themselves have made up in marking their own homework, in inserting their own loopholes, and then taking advantage of them. So that in in some ways, Ed, Ed Griffiths and Saracens would be have the most understanding of how this thing works. And there's a few things that Ed Griffiths has said, which I think you'd be totally on board with, JB. For example, he said that the administration of it needs to be completely taken out of the hands of the clubs and it needs to be given to effectively like a commissioner or a...
3: And by the way, exactly what Mark Evans says. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a structural
1: problem. There's that, and they've also said, out of the 14 teams I think they're proposing, um, that they would make it a north and south thing to create less but more meaningful games.
3: Kind of like I've said uh, pre- exactly. previously. Exactly. This is, this
1: is what I'm saying. So uh, a lot of what he's saying is, 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 is totally in tune with where your head's been at.
3: I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying I would like a little bit more transparency as to how Ed Griffiths ended up here. Because it does sound like Saracens are lending their own man to uh, structuring their own league.
1: Yeah, because they want to get a good TV deal. Because a good TV deal is part of it. Uh, having games against um, touring teams is part of it, uh, and that 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 benefits Saracens. Yeah, but as Phil said, I don't think it will happen.
2: Um, just just one other thing on uh, marking your own homework. Did you did either of you see the announcement on the World Rugby restructuring review?
3: Uh,
2: so, no. So both. Candidates uh, Bill Bowman and Augustine Augustine Pichot um, in running for World Rugby both led, they both had um, in their uh, manifesto um, a review of the governance structure of World Rugby and Bill Bowman's has been announced and on the panel for the uh, supposedly independent review sits not only Bill Bowman but also his running mate Bernard Laporte and also Brett Gosper and another half a dozen individuals who sit on the board of world rugby so they're doing a a, what was supposed to be an independent review of the world rugby governance structures and something like eight out of the 12 people on the panel of the review are directors or um, significant senior members of world rugby
3: i don't understand i don't understand it first of all why do we need another review? I mean, we can have reviews about reviews about reviews, another panel, another meeting, another conference room booked out continuously with the same people sitting on, sitting on the same panels discussing the same stuff. Um, can we not just embrace what we have? Can we not just say, look, this, this is what we have. Now, imagine if everyone pulls together just to promote the things as they are currently. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. We, the game needs to, needs to change. I think it needs to change slowly, not some massive overhaul you know, overnight based, on, based on, on, on one review. I'd be interested to see how many reviews we've had in the last decade and how many changes have happened due to these reviews. Um,
2: so I think some of them are benefit, like some of the law variations that have happened over the, over the last few years are probably for the better. But I, I again, I totally understand your cynicism on this, and it's one that definitely in this scenario where you've got people marking their own homework, people setting and then marking their own homework, um, it seems a bit ridiculous, and it's only going to achieve achieve the objectives that they want it to achieve, not the objectives that are would be best for the game.
1: It does remind me though. Um, don't forget this week we've got our um, review into Egg Chasers, uh, the podcast. Um, the the people that will be present, me, me uh, the three of us. Absolutely. And we'll report back with our findings. I wouldn't have yeah. it any other way. Well, it's got to be independent. <laughs> <sighs> our item Amazing. one will be moon landing. Did it really happen? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and then item number two, a round of Negronis. Oh,
3: Correct. Uh, Have we got an oh, Russia's doing a world cup bid? I understand. Yeah,
1: 2027, Vladimir Putin is uh throwing his weight behind a potential Russian bid for the tournament, which has got uh loads of people on Twitter outraged, of course. Of course, Um, I would tend
3: to agree with Twitter on this
1: one,
3: I think. Uh, Yeah, Russia and this country, and we should have nothing to do with it.
1: Well, there is that, and and I and I I actually I, I totally agree. Their human rights record, their, their, the issues that you know, their treatment of uh, homosexuals in the country makes me feel very uncomfortable. But then, going back to something I mentioned earlier on the podcast, the Dubai Sevens happens every year. Uh, okay,
3: let's get down to what this, what, um, what really matters here. How much money are they willing to pay us? Because I'll make my quite
1: s- well. This is what my point was. <laughs> if, if you want to take a moral position, then where are you with the kit manufacturers? Where are you with? Uh, th- tournaments in the uae yeah. versus so i'm not saying i want a world cup in russia i'm saying let, let's not pick and choose when we're when we're offended and what we what we're offended well,
3: by wealthy country is it it has a handful of very wealthy individuals oh yeah <laughs> uh, true which slightly uh, like, yeah. It is quite different it's very different i would um i'd say let's see how much money they're willing to pay us first and if it's substantial uh, yeah let's do it on the other hand and i i'm not just saying this for comic effect there is no chance I'm going to a Russian Russia World Cup. Not a hope. Not going. I, I, I would
2: I, also be a little bit concerned about going
3: to a Russian World Cup. There is no part of me w- that wants to visit the place. Um, certainly no part of me that wants to visit the place while, whilst I'm overtly Welsh or overtly English or overtly Western. Um, no, I, I'm not interested at all in, in, go, um, in actually going to Russia.
2: Um, and there is another issue with Russia in sport that um, you've not mentioned, but I was listening to um, Edwin Moses, um, former. Oh, the
1: former 400 hurdler.
2: Yeah, um, who is currently on the um, Olympic Committee for. I can't remember his, his exact title, but he's something like uh, director for anti doping for the Olympic Committee. And he was specifically talking about um, this, this was on uh, The Economist this week, uh, on Economist Radio. And he was talking about the um, myriad of um, basically state-sponsored doping programs they've had over an enormous period of time um, now, in a, lots of different sports.
3: If state-sponsored doping was successful, and it has been in Russia in the past, but if it's successful with the Russian national team and it gets them to I don't know a semi-final, is that a price that you'd be worth? That that you'd be willing to pay. Because it would mix up the it'd mix up the order somewhat. <laughs> it would mix up
2: the order. Um n- no. Oh, wait, what what's the yeah, mixing up the order being the benefit and uh massive state sponsored doping programme for Russian rugby being the, the cost.
3: Well oh, look, I look I'm not the one funding it. So, you know <laughs> if, if, if one more competitive I mean, I think for Russia to be competitive at rugby, they would need to not just work hard for 10 years. I need to work hard for generations. Yeah. Even be close to producing the athletes, which England and South Africa have been producing. I'm just saying, you know, level the playing field a bit. I don't know.
1: Uh, The, the <laughs> money is important. Uh, money is important. Absolutely. But if, if ultimately you're, you really want to help nations which are emerging in rugby develop, there are lots of ways that you can help Georgia and you can help Fiji that haven't been done that, should be done. So um, I would be I would be really disappointed if things stayed exactly as they are for Georgia and Fiji, and then there was a Russian World Cup because you want to try and develop rugby in that area.
3: Yeah, and you know the way that, you know the way the world at the moment, um, a Georgia slash Russia World Cup might um, might actually be a thing if Russia and Oh Georgia. no, I d-
1: don't put them together because Russia will think that means like literally they'll just yeah. <laughs> if you're, you're back in the in the nation. Now we've moved the border.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, send it somewhere else. Send it somewhere else. So send it somewhere that you want to visit. Yeah, that's all I ask.
2: What <laughs> would be top on your priority list?
3: I think Argentina for a couple of weeks would be pretty cool. Ooh, yeah, Argentina. Would the
1: USA's be. got to happen. Or a whole oh, Canada, yeah. Canada, America. But USA's got to happen.
3: Yeah, Canada, USA. Italy would be a great World Cup venue. Italy would be. Yeah. That, really would. The...
2: that really would. That really would. We've got France 2023 to look forward to, haven't we?
3: Yeah, that's going to be fantastic. Uh, nip over
1: every weekend.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can do a full okay. week's work and then get on it at the Rugby World Cup every weekend. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they've, got plen- they've, they've, they've got plenty of stadiums, although you'd have to have... Portugal would be great. Spain would be great.
1: Yeah, Spain, a joint Spain-Portugal.
3: Spain, yeah, could on well, well, good with that. Well, you'd need to include both the national teams then, so I don't know if you can do that.
2: Yeah, you'd have two host spots then, so someone else would probably miss out.
3: But you know, we as a rugby community, we do we do owe an enormous apology to Spain. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, yes. Well, I mean, Spain have been. It, it would be one small way towards rectifying the the outrage of 2019.
3: Yeah, the injustice.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: so, yeah. Good. Any other so business? We, we all agreed not Russia then. Not Russia.
1: Yeah, I think on balance, although. No. Yeah, oh, wait, yeah, 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 should
2: should not Russia actually be not not Spain? Yeah, <laughs>
3: <laughs> a little bit of an joke there. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think we've got everything uh, everything covered. Let's all go home.
1: I'll just say I'll just say one thing that I've just finished watching Dark on Netflix. Oh my god, that's awesome! I Was never it? thought I never thought I would watch a German show. It's a German it? it's a German sci-fi show. Um. And you you can either watch it dubbed, which is actually all right, or with subtitles, and it's so freaking good. Mm. What? what is it about exactly? Um, little German town, kids start going missing, Uh-oh. and it, every everyone and everything is connected in ways that you just don't imagine. And it's it's one of those you can't watch it while your phone while you're just sc- scrolling on your phone. You have to put your phone down, to concentrate, because it's. Uh,
3: no good for me. It's, it's a
1: labyrinth. It's, it's bloody brilliant though. Anyway. Is it like a German Stranger Things? A bit like that but more a darker darker, darker mm-hmm. older Cool. Um, more, yeah so anyway and, but, I, I, but as a result I need a tip because I've i finished Succession which is also awesome. I've, I've heard, heard of, that's good. It's really freaking good. Am I might something else now.
3: Might do that tonight because I've not got I've not got a podcast to do now.
1: Succession. Wow. If you haven't watched that watch Succession first. You would love that, JB. It's basically... I mean, it, 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 it's... It, imagine if there was a fly-on-the-wall documentary about... Beard Morico. Uh,
4: <laughs> a beard
1: inco- a, a big media billionaire mogul. Some people have pointed out Rupert Murdoch, for example, but I couldn't possibly say that because he's my boss, ultimately.
3: Son, <laughs> <laughs> which is a shame, actually. Sorry? You're not his son, which is a shame.
1: That is a shame. You
2: could be. If you uh, live in Japan, where we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but they have the highest rate of adult adoption in the world because they want to continue family-owned businesses in Japan. So often really? people, are, people are groomed to be, so like 28-year-old, 28, 28 to 35-year-old, um, often men but not always, are adopted by um, billionaire owners who own companies so that they can be the new CEO and they can succeed. And, and it's a succession plan. Yeah, but that happens in Japan, where you've got you've got um, family-run companies that have lineages back hundreds of years.
1: Wow! So that, that's one way to go. If you if you're from a sort of uh, a poor area of Japan and you have a child and you haven't really got two uh, two cents to rub together, then just just hot-house your child as a as a child prodigal CEO.
3: CEO, yeah, grooming. Yeah, but Tim, when the, when you've seen the state of the salary men. I... <laughs>
1: Just lost you there, JB. That's oh, Putin. <laughs> You've put yourself on. No, your camera's off. No. Nope. How oh, strange. Come in, JB. Oh well, there you go. I think I think Putin has taken him. <laughs> he was about to reveal a uh, a very important bit of information. We'll have to leave that one. Phil, I'll say goodbye to you now, mate. Have a have a great Sunday night and um, let the boys play. Let the boys play. Cheers, buddy. Right. Bye. Bye.